for Jess. Bonus. Love that. Bonus. Okay. Today, we are in chapter 12 of the story. And so if you're following along in the story, you can turn there. Uh, we're also, if you're um, following along in your Bible, we're going to be 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 are basically where we're going to be today. If you want a copy of the story, you don't have one, we have them back there for you. And so you can just fill out your Connect card, take it back there after church, and we'll get you a copy of the story. It's our gift to you. That is no charge to you. Okay, so the scene is set. Uh, we're continuing our conversation about David, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but I want you to listen to this interaction. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him. And his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. So today we're going to talk about David. We're going to talk about Nathan. And these are not new characters in the story, unlike most weeks where we pick up a different section of the story uh, in the narrative. Today, we continue with David, and you're probably going, why? Why David? And uh, part of it's because that there are over 60 chapters in Scripture that, can, that talk about the story of David. It's just a very long part of the narrative, and so it takes a couple chapters in the story. If you haven't been here with us before, I encourage you to go back and check out the previous weeks. You can listen to them on our podcast, which you can find on our website or on iTunes, anywhere really where you listen to your podcast. And you can catch up to where we are because it's really just this overarching narrative of what God's done and what he's doing in history. The story is a 31-chapter work um, that is basically the high-level narrative of Scripture. And so the creators of the story, if you're like wondering what it is, they've taken uh, the big themes in Scripture and they've organized it into chronological order using passages that, that talk about the big story and then they summarize the parts in between. And so we're really just using it as a teaching tool um, to see how God is authoring his great narrative. So like I said, today we're going to be in uh, chapter 12 of the story or if you're following along in your Bible, uh, you can go to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I think you're wondering, just like I was when I read that, uh, how did David get to this point? He was so indignant about the injustice of the rich man, a young warrior uh, himself who is said to have the heart to be a man after God's own heart. How did he arrive at the tragic place of his friend Nathan um, telling him that he's guilty of such awful behavior? So if you rewind back to the beginning of chapter 12 to the story, it says the first, in the first sentence, it says this, it says, in the spring, 
At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So the beginning of this chapter tells us that something right off the bat in chapter 12 is just not right with David. Uh, David, being the king of the nation of Israel, uh, it was his responsibility and his duty to go to war with his troops. Uh, He was supposed to lead those people. Um, Instead, what we see is we have David staying at home, sending his troops out ahead of him, and he's neglecting his God-given responsibilities. As, As he's charged with caring for the kingdom, he just said, nah. And so we see that right from the beginning, something is not right. Then it gets worse for David. It says that one evening while David was home, it doesn't say this, neglecting his responsibilities, I added that in, but while he was home as Israel's king, he decided to go out onto the rooftop of his palace, which is great. If you have a palace, you should be able to go on the rooftop. However, it's what happened there that started this bad sequence of events for David. It says, while he was up there, he saw a woman bathing, and, it, and he was captivated by her beauty. He was captivated by her beauty. First of all, real quick, 30-second timeout. I have to ask the question uh, right off the bat that you're probably thinking to yourself. Uh, why was there a woman bathing where other people could see her? Right? Like, don't you think that? Like, I'm sure she had a good reason in her mind, maybe. Uh, maybe she was getting a remodel in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, maybe bath fitter was there. Uh, maybe it was just a great day to get a tan, and she was like, you know what? This is harmless. I'm going to go out there, kill two birds with one stone. Regardless of what it is, in my mind, I'm going, why? Why is she doing this? Especially as a husband myself, uh, I can only imagine that if Uriah, who is her husband, was home, and we'll talk about why he's not here in just a second. I can only imagine if he was home, uh, he'd probably be like, babe, I know you're beautiful, and I know you got to take baths, and I know it probably would be great to do it outside. However, could you just stay inside so that other guys can't see you? Right? I mean, that's really what I would be thinking. Um, regardless, um, that's, that's not what happens. And so here we are at this place where David's out on his rooftop, and he sees her, and he's like, man, she's a babe. So, uh, so time in. Okay, so he sees Bathsheba. Uh, he sends someone to find out who she is. And his servant goes, finds out who she is, reports back, and says, hey, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He just happens to be at war right now, okay? So he's actually with the men that David should be with at battle, and he's gone, she's at home, he sees her. So what does David do? He takes his phone out, and he's like, dude, Uriah, he texts him, dude, your wife's so beautiful, way to go, way to marry out of your league. (laughs) That's not what he does, though. That would have been like, okay, let's, okay, whatever, but that's not what he does. Instead of having the integrity that he should have, he's won over by his lust, and he has Bathsheba brought to him so that he can sleep with her. After he's done with her, he sends her back to his, back to, 
home. And then the situation uh, is now turning into a very bad one for David. So not only is he neglecting his duty as king, he's now violated um, people, his people. He's violated his, um, the people who serve him in his military. He's violated his relationship with God. But it doesn't end there, unfortunately for David. It doesn't just stop right there. Bathsheba ends up getting pregnant, and she sends word to David. So now David is like, okay, I made a bad decision. Well, this is what I would imagine him thinking. I made a bad decision. Um, there's evidence of that bad decision that I need to figure out how to fix, how to make right. So he does that, except for it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. So. David devises a plan to hide his poor decision. Anybody ever done that before? Make one bad decision and then go, I know how to fix it. I'll make another one. Okay. Uh, You're going to see how that plays out for David here. So he sends word to his troops who are where he's supposed to be. And he says, hey, will you send Uriah home? Uh, I need to talk to him. So they do. So they send Uriah home. They re- it, he returns um, from battle. And, and this is what it says in 2 Samuel 11, verses 6 through 9. It says, so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was. Hey, buddy, how's it going out there, right? Uh, how the soldiers were doing and how war was going. Just casual conversation. Uh, Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace. A gift from the king was sent after him. It doesn't say what the gift was. It says, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. They tell David, what happens? They tell him, hey, guess what? Uriah didn't go home. He slept at the palace with the servants. And as you can imagine, David's shocked. Why would David be shocked? Well, like you and I would be shocked. Man comes home from war after being gone from his beautiful wife, and he has the opportunity to go home and have her affection and talk to her and see her, and he doesn't do it. And David's like, what? He can't, he literally can't believe it. So then he's like, okay, well, let me try again. Let me try again. Then it says in verse 11 of 2 Samuel 11, it says, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So he has Uriah come back, and Uriah's like, hey, you should know better. I'm not going to do that. Not only are my responsibilities elsewhere, but my men are out there, my brothers. Like, I'm not going to do that to them. I'm not going to come and and do something that they, too, can't enjoy. I'm going to wait and return to them. And so Uriah is showing David what it means to have character, okay? So David's like, oh, man. Now, I realize Uriah, rather, is is just like any other human. He has probably plenty of moments that he's not proud of. However, in this moment, he shows us, okay, this is what would be a good response in a tempting situation, which I know we all face different temptations every day. So sadly, instead of David going, you know what? You're a great example. I should follow that. 
I should definitely make a good decision from here out. It drives David deeper into the hole of his bad decision making. Like he is just has the shovel and he just keeps going, okay? And this is what it says in verse 12. It says, then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back because he knows that's what Uriah wants. So he's like, okay, after, to, after tonight, I'll, go, I'll get to go back and be where I need to be. It says, so, so Uriah remained in Jerusalem and that day, that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. He's like, surely this will work. I'll get him drunk and then he won't be able to resist. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servant and he did not go home. So even under the influence, he was not going to, he was not going to go home and, and, and disregard his brothers that he's out at war with. He's not going to go home and do something that he has decided in his soul is not the right thing to do, which is, again, just incredible to me. And so in that moment, David has to look again in the mirror and go, man, this man is, is really like an amazing, amazing man. I should probably just come clean and, you know, make it right and figure out how we're going to make this work, but he doesn't. Instead, he continues to try to cover up a poor decision with more poor decisions. So it says in verse 14 and 15, it says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Sure enough, they do just as David commanded. Uriah was killed. And then once David was notified of Uriah's death, he brought Bathsheba into his palace and made her his wife. And this is what it says in the last sentence of 2 Samuel 11. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It's not a good place to be. Even though David was at the top of the power structure on earth, he was a king and he had no other authority above him on earth, he was still subject to God's power and God's authority. And then because he lost sight of who he was called to be, because if you remember previously as a young man in, in last week's um, chapter of the story. It was a young man after God's own heart, did incredible things. I mean, was just uh, leading a nation who wanted to be led by a king instead of God, and he, he was torn by that. I mean, he's really just a great man, and, and yet one chapter later in the story, we find him at a place where he has totally lost who he was, who God called him to be, and what it meant to do the right thing. So what he does um, is a terrible thing, and it brings consequences upon himself. But it doesn't just bring consequences on him. It brings consequences on Bathsheba. <clears throat> and then what happens, that is, that is typically what happens when we make poor, poor decisions. When you think about like what David did and the continual compounding nature of his poor decisions, um, it didn't just impact him. It ended up impacting other households. It ended up impacting other people in the military. They lost um, many of those men lost his friend. Uh, we see that the ripple effect of our decisions can carry serious weight for us. It can carry serious weight for the people around us. And that's why God pleads with us. He says, please be obedient. 
Be obedient to the design that I have put out there for your life. Please be obedient for the way that I've called you to live. It's not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. And it's for the benefit of those around us. So when you have a chance, be obedient. Okay, so this is where we, have, this is where we catch up to where I, uh, this part of the story that I read at the beginning. So at this point, Nathan uh, knows what's happened. God's revealed it to him. So he goes, he tells David the story that we read at the beginning about the ewe lamb and the traveler. <clears throat> and David's like, oh, that's so terrible. And Nathan's like, yeah, you're the guy, right? We all need a friend that can say that to us, even though it was difficult. But then this is what it says right after that. Right after Nathan does what he's supposed to do, what God's asked him to do to confront David, it says This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is God talking to David. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before Israel. The compounding nature of David's poor decisions are met with serious consequences, generational consequences, as we see God saying in this passage. So let me just take a few seconds here and encourage you with something. Some of you may be flirting right now with a poor decision. You might be thinking in your mind, I'm going to do this thing and it's a poor decision. Some of you might be hanging on the edge of a poor decision. Some of you might be trying to remedy a poor decision with other poor decisions. Now, if you fit one or more of those categories, it's not too late to stop, to turn away from those bad decisions, and run away from the poor decisions in front of you. Um, I heard someone say it this way, the poor decision will never satisfy your thirst for whatever you think you want. The lust for more will never be satisfied by something you can earn, buy, or create yourself. And the deception of power And control is a mirage, an illusion that will leave you unsatisfied. I can't take away the consequences of your decisions. The consequences exist. However, I can point you towards the best encouragement that I possibly have. And we see it happening in this very story. So we see David's decision-making process It goes very badly. It gets worse. It gets worse. Nathan confronts him. 
He says, that's a terrible thing that that person's done. And Nathan says, yep, that's exactly what you've done. Then God says, hey, there's going to be some serious consequences, not just for you, but for the generations of your household. And then it says this in verse 13 of chapter 12. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He finally admits I've done, I've done the bad thing. I've done the wrong thing. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is Nathan's response. The Lord has taken your sin away. The Lord has taken your sin away. That would be like um, this aha moment for some people. Like David was like, I, I really did mess this up. And instantly, as soon as he says that, Nathan's like, and God took your sin away. He didn't take away the consequences. Those still exist. But the thing that separates you from God, the sin, it has been taken away. The rest of the story is full of some tragedy, but it's also full of some great redemption. Um, It goes on to say that the child that Bathsheba and David conceived um, when, when on that night when David slept with her, uh, that that child was actually struck with illness. And David, um, he, he went to pray. He was, he was constantly pleading with God, God, save this child. But the child did end up passing away. And then after David realized that the child had passed away, if you continue to read on, it says that once he realized that, he stopped what he was doing. He went and he worshiped God which I thought was just an incredible response. And then it says this in, 20, in verse 24 and 25. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, because remember now she's his wife, and he went to her and made love to her again. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, which Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. So Solomon, a.k.a. Jedidiah, goes on uh, to be loved by the Lord, and as we're going to find out next week in the story, has an incredible legacy. So yes, some tragedy. The child's lost. Uriah's been killed. Um, There's going to be calamity on his family, but God can redeem difficult, broken situations like nobody can do. We cannot do it at all. He can take away the sin and he can redeem the situation. And I want to point this out to you in case you weren't just kind of capturing like exactly how severe the situation was. Um, David was an adulterer and a murderer and God forgave his sins. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and God forgave his sins. So next time you hear your friend go, I don't know, I might burst into flames when I walk out into church, you'd be like, well, did you, you know, are you an adulterer and a murderer? And they're probably like, no, I'm not. I'm not a murderer, certainly. And they're like, come on in. Right? David, David was forgiven. So, you know, like you hear people say that sometimes, and I, and I, I understand, but I'm like, listen, uh, the example that God sets in so many stories including this one, including this one about David, is that regardless of how awful you are on earth, there's always an opportunity to turn to him. There's always an opportunity to be redeemed. I just imagine it being the headline that's that, like, the idea that David says, I have sinned, and Nathan's like, and your sins are forgiven, is just, like, on the news of the Good News Gazette. Okay, all right. So, yeah, you know, I wasn't sure about that one, but... 
But right, like a newspaper, the Good News Gazette just says, your sins have been forgiven. And it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any prerequisites other than to believe that Jesus is Lord. That really is good news. So I want to just go through five really quick observations from this story that just help us understand um, how this can apply to us. Then we're going to sing some songs, how thankful we are to Jesus. So here's, here's the first one. Here's the first observation. Uh, we must not neglect our God-given responsibilities. When David did not go to war like he was supposed to, that was like the first step in the wrong direction, right? We must not neglect our God-given responsibilities because they often lead us down paths that we're not supposed to go down. If David hadn't been home in the first place, he never would have been on the rooftop watching someone else's wife bathe for whatever reason uh, where she could be seen so that he could say, you know what, come on over to my house, right? All of that would have been avoided if he was just doing what he was supposed to to be doing. So we must not neglect our God-given responsibilities. Let's not neglect being parents. Let's not neglect being spouses. Let's not neglect being servants of others, the things that God has called us to. Second observation, one poor decision cannot correct another poor decision. One poor decision cannot correct another poor decision. I think we covered this already throughout the story, but a, a poor decision will not necessarily, it will definitely leave you in a worse situation than the one that you're trying to get out of, right? He believed that, you know what, if I can just get Uriah to do this thing and then it doesn't work and then he eventually has Uriah killed because he's afraid of the consequences, but now he's a murderer, right? And it's like, what was David thinking except I think we can all relate to that? Maybe not being a murderer, but we've all made poor decisions based off of other poor decisions. We've all thought, certainly I can fix this and there won't be anything, you know, it'll brush it underneath the rug. It won't work. So one poor decision cannot correct another poor decision. Observation number three, every single decision you make is a chance to reset the character button. Here's my character button, right? If you have a decision, and regardless of where uh, you are in any given situation, the next decision you make is the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. That was easy. <laughs> that was easy. You just go, you know what, I'm going to make the right decision now. And I'm going to face the consequences that are in front of me. And I'm going to change the direction of this. Every single decision you make is a chance. And David finally, after so many poor decisions, said, I have sinned. And then God, God said, your sins are forgiven. And the consequences played out. But you know what? They ended up having a son, Solomon, who, as I said next week, if you know Solomon's story, you know how great his legacy is. If you don't know, please come back next week because what happened out of this bad situation that God redeemed was something incredible. Not much different than, say, Ruth, who we talked about a few weeks ago, who had a totally different situation but was in a difficult, difficult spot, and God just redeemed her. God gave them a son named Solomon. Every decision you make is a chance to reset the character button. Number four, no matter how much you have, you will always want more. It, it talks about, like, when God said, 
Remember all the things that I gave you? Remember how I gave you uh, your enemy's household and I gave you his wives? And, and if that was too little, I would have given you even more. David could have had whatever he wanted, except for he wanted the thing that he couldn't have. And it's like, why, David? Like, I mean, all of us, I, until you have a palace, you don't really get it, right? That's what you're thinking about David. David, David has a palace. I mean, come on. Like, it, that's a different situation, right? No. Right? David had all these wives. So first of all, if you are like a guy and you're going, I want more wives. I don't know what to do for you. I don't know what to do for you. I'm sorry. One is plenty. Okay? One is plenty for all the right reasons, okay, guys? Trust me, one is plenty. But if you're going, you know what? I have 37 or 387, whatever the number was, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is he said, you know what? I have a lot, but I don't have that, and I want that. And the temptation is to think that next thing, that next house, that next job, that next car, that next situation, that next relationship, that thing is going to make me feel better. But as we learn from David, and I have continued to learn from people who are wiser than me, that the lust for more, that the lust for power, the lust for stuff never goes away. We always want more. So if we learn from David, we can learn that, you know what? Let me be content with what I have. Let me be excited about what God's given me. Pastor Kelly says it this way. He says, water your own grass. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, water your grass. Right? Water your grass. That's like, I'm like, yeah, that's really great. Finally, he said something smart. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. We love him. There are way I just had to get that out there. He'll listen to the podcast and laugh. Um, love you, Pastor Kelly. Um, <laughs> Water your own grass, right? Like, it's just never going to be enough if you always want more. Okay, and then number five, your action carries serious consequences, but your sin is forgiven. I did not want to leave today without reminding you as many times as I can. Your actions may carry consequences, but your sin is forgiven. And that, my friends, is the best news that I can offer you ever. Okay, so we try to come up with these sticky phrases, right, that we just kind of give some handles so you can walk away with this. And I got to be honest, I changed it this morning, so I don't even have a slide for it. I just felt like I was like, okay, this is really what um, I feel like God's trying to get at in my own heart, so maybe this will help you, maybe it won't. Um, but I, I truly believe this, that God has granted you access to everything you need to achieve the greatness that he has in store for you. God has granted you access to everything that you need for the greatness that he has in store for you. That means, unlike David, you don't have to go get the thing that you're not supposed to have. Because he has granted you access to everything you need to achieve the greatness he has in store for you. Now, first of all, let me just say this. If you don't think he has greatness in store for you, you just don't know better because he does. And secondly, if he has greatness in store for you and you're going, I don't know how to possibly get there, that's okay. That's called life. But he has given you access to it. 
He's not saying, you know what, I'm just not going to give you enough. I know you really want that thing, and I know that I'm calling you to it, but really, I'm sorry, just meh, you're stuck. That's not how God works. We talked about it a few weeks ago that he's preparing you for the things that he's prepared for you, right? Same thing applies. If God has called you to something, he's given you access to everything you need. The question is, are you going to tap into it? That's really the question. Are you going to tap into what he's given you access to so that you can live out the greatness that he has in store for you? All right, I'm going to invite the band up. I want to pray for you guys. I want to sing a couple songs because of how good Jesus is in our lives. Now, if you look at the story of David and you think to yourself, I just, I can't relate to David. I understand. David is a king. David has a palace, but let me just encourage you with this. He started from humble beginnings. He started in a place where he was a shepherd who ended up having to do some incredible things to get into the place that he is now. However, his life is an example of one where God called him to something great, and he gave him everything he needed to get there. And yes, he made some poor decisions, and yes, those poor decisions carry consequences. And maybe right now, you're in a situation where the consequences are really hard because of a decision that you made or a decision that someone else made that impacted you. Maybe you're David, maybe you're Bathsheba, right? Maybe someone else's decision made your life hard. Maybe your decision made your life hard. Regardless, God says, your sins are forgiven. That's, that's the real issue. Once your sins are forgiven, then you have access to everything you need to live out the greatness that he's called you to. And I can look around the room and I can think about stories about people that I've talked with and the things that they've come through and the situations that they've come through that God has walked them through. Yes, consequences hard, but the greatness still available. The greatness is still right there. Are you going to tap into what he has for you? Do me a favor, stand up. I want to pray for you. I encourage you just to sing loudly, to sing with the, the most fervor that you can possibly sing with, not because your voice is good, because that's probably not the case unless you're Jessica um, or Joel. Love you, Joel. But because your sins are forgiven, that's a good reason to sing. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to gather and to be excited about what you're doing in and through our lives. God, the story of David is just one where you're like, man, how in the world does he get to that place? And yet, if we look at ourselves, we can probably see, you know what? I've made some bad decisions myself. But let us be encouraged by the fact that, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Just like Nathan said to David, let us proclaim to each other and to the people who follow Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Your life is full of value and purpose and worth and meaning because of what Jesus has done. God, I pray that you would bless 
Center Church. I pray that you bless the people in Center Church, God, that the situations that you're working um, in their lives, the situations that you're working for them, God, that you're working through them in those situations, God, I pray that they would chase that that there would be no doubt in their mind that you have something great in store for them and that you have called them to a great purpose and that you have called them to a great mission and that they have everything that they need to accomplish that greatness. So let us sing loudly today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. So a good place to start, if you're wondering how God's given you access to everything that you need, is to A, tap into salvation, to take Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. That's, that's the starting point. And then from there, to understand and believe, like not just know, but believe that his grace has covered your sins. The consequences may still be part of what happens in your life throughout your lifetime on this earth, but your sin is forgiven. And so you can stop worrying about that thing. You are reconciled. You are redeemed to Jesus, right? That's a, that's a term that we don't use a lot, but it literally means to be purchased, to be made right, to be, to be put back in its right place by being purchased. And you know you were purchased because of what Jesus did. Nothing that you can do can get you there. Only Jesus can do that. And he's done that already. And you just have to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Some of you may be carrying things that just you feel like, ah, I have this thing. And so I'm not as good as I should be. Or I'm not as valuable as I should be. Guess what? That's a lie. That's a lie. God has given you access to everything you need to achieve the greatness that he has called you to. And he says that you're his masterpiece. He says that you are his masterpiece. In Ephesians 2.10, he says that you are his masterpiece. And I don't know if you've ever uh, seen someone else's masterpiece and just been wowed by it, or if you've ever created something and you were like, I nailed it. I, yes, right? Like you've ever had that thing. That's how God feels about each and every one of you. That is a good, good thing. So, so I want to encourage you, let go of the thing that, you know, like David could have held on to that. He could have held on to his bad decision and bad decision and bad decision. He could have held on to that. The consequences existed, but he said, you know what? I'm going to chase this thing. I'm going to go after what God has in store for me. And it really is an amazing story. And the same can be true for you and I. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to get out of here. God, thanks for today. Thank you for an encouragement like that, like David's story. Thank you that you have called us to something excellent, that you have given us access to everything we need to achieve that greatness, and that you have called us your masterpiece. God, I pray that we would embrace that, that we would speak that into other people's lives, that we would, that we would let everyone know that we're so excited about what we have, who we have in our lives, Jesus and his grace, and that he has given that and made that available to anyone who has said, I want that. 
I pray that that would be true. I pray that the things that you are doing in our lives, God, that we would go out there, that we would, we would unabashedly chase after them and go for them. God, that we would value the things that you've put into our lives, that we would value and appreciate the people that you've put into our lives, that we would not fall prey to the desire for more, God, but that we would recognize that you have already done all that we need. You have already given us all that we need. We love that. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, hope to see you back next week for the next part of the story. Have a great week.